welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I am your guest, Dustin Holiday, And we're your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Uh, so, Dustin has been doing more engineering work here at Macrofab. A little bit of it, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing is uh, he brings a lot of uh, programming experience to, mm-hmm. to, the, to the team. Um, and so, you've been working on KeyCAD, right? Yes. I'm a, I'm a, a big KeyCAD enthusiast. <laughs> Yeah, that's not us. <laughs> hey, we got the maker trifecta here: Eagle, yeah. Dip Trace, and Keycad. Yeah, all the yeah. all the free ones. Yeah, no, the ones that have free versions that don't expire. Yeah, right. Altium has a free oh, version it? that expires in a month, and their free version it. is you get everything for thirty days. Yeah. Not limited to a 10 by 10 centimeter. Yeah, or like size. 30 parts on your board. Yeah. <laughs> well, KeyCAD is 100% free. Yeah. Open source. Right. Um, so, yeah. What, so, what have you been doing with KeyCAD? So, I've been working on a, a parser to where you can just upload your, your KeyCAD PCB file and we'll parse it and generate all the files for you automatically. Nifty. Um, that's something that we've been lacking. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, we do that for, uh, I say we as Macrofab. Yeah. Um, we do that for uh, Eagle and Dip Trace right now, and we almost do it for KeyCAD. We parse the XYRS file, but not the Gerbers. Yeah, and we and we do it the old way before they had the the Python API. Yep. So <laughs> we're manually going through and and calculating centroids and all that. Yeah. The hard way. Well, hopefully, uh, you get some results out of that. How? how oh yeah. How how is that API? Because the last time I looked at it. It was before they released uh, KeyCAD 4.0, yeah, and there was zero documentation on the Python API stuff. Yeah, I think I think I found the old uh, the old API documentation. There's pretty much nothing on it. <laughs> it's just got like one little example that's not even useful at all, and that's that's it. Uh, but but they have it well documented now. They have all the classes and all all, all the all the methods laid out and everything. So it's it's pretty nice. Um, one thing one complaint I have is that. Uh, uh, you you can't actually ins- it's not like a regular python package it's all bundled into keycad so you can't it's difficult to install it into a standalone version of python so we're going to have to figure that out yeah might have to just have a version that keycad on the server yeah i bet we could do that yeah, cuz that's actually, that's what we do for uh eagle yeah is we have an eagle install that runs the uh the script and runs the cam file generation yeah so yeah, yeah, KeyCAD comes with a Python.exe in in the KeyCAD folder. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, so they probably that. yeah they probably compiled their own version of Python. I, I think so because it doesn't work with uh, with Python versions I downloaded from the Python website. Huh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I but, wonder if it's hooked in or something. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but otherwise, otherwise it works great. It's a, it's an awesome API. It's really powerful. And then uh, speaking of Python. You and uh, uh, Dustin, Dustin and Steven have been working on uh, or finished up that customer jig, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we, we have a, a customer that has a, uh, a motor controller PCB. Uh, basically, it's a brushless DC motor controller that, uh, you know, I think it can control up to about two, maybe two and a half thousand watts. And uh, he wanted us to have a jig that, that automatically programs and tests every board. So uh, Dustin and I set forth on making this uh, this jig that can actually accept a panel of 10 different boards. Uh, and it goes through and actually programs each board and tests them serially all in about four to four and a half minutes. So each board uh, 
we, we talk to each board, we program it using a, an ST link, and then we set each board into a uh, test mode, and it'll actually spin up a motor that's on the jig. And on this motor, we have an encoder wheel that goes, uh, spins through an optical sensor, and uh, we actually read feedback on that. So we can, we can program each board, test them, read back information that the motor's actually spinning, and report that to Dustin's Python script that he wrote, uh, and get uh, a log of pass and fails on that. Mm-hmm. So on that motor coder, yeah, <laughs> motor coder, motor coder. Uh, on that motor coder, could you uh, can you actually read the speed of the motor too? You can. Uh, right now, uh, we're just doing global. Did the motor spin? So I'm just counting pulses and seeing did it go over a certain number of pulses, and that's a pass. Uh, but we can we can go and actually get RPM from that. Yeah. It's pretty much pass or fail, though. It either it either spins or it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and it, <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 jig was mainly designed for speed, yeah. not speed of the motor, speed of testing and programming. Speed testing, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there's what, twelve boards or ten boards? Ten, ten boards on a ten panel. Boards. Uh, so two rows of five. So you're down to about thirty to thirty-five seconds per board. Yep, that's not bad, including programming. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's it's really quick, and uh, this was actually the first time I got to. Uh, do a project with Dustin, which was a ton of fun, uh, especially because I don't really know a whole lot about Python, so yeah. it was fun to get in on that. So what would be really interesting is for the next project y'all do, y'all should change places. Oh, oh that boy. would be a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> from my side. From my side. <laughs> Probably me, too. <laughs> That'd be fun, though. Yeah. So, yeah, Dustin's pretty good at, uh, at hammering out the Python. He, he did it fairly quickly. Yeah. A lot faster than I designed my board, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's not saying much, though. So. <laughs> uh, um, the Jig of Destiny, Rev 3. Got it ordered on Monday. Should be here sometime late next week. Hopefully, we can actually, it'll fit into the reflow of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll fit in this time. Um, I, by the way, I told everyone the other day that you didn't design the Jig Rev 2 wrong. Uh, it's just the oven was designed wrong. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. The oven, the oven was spec to open up 18 inches. It does not. Your yeah, jig I, wasn't too big. The oven's too small. Yeah, the oven. Yeah, was the, oven, the oven jams at like a little over seven and a half, maybe yeah, seventeen and a half. Tiny bit over. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, it jams going small too. The, yeah. It has a minimum uh, that it certainly does not reach. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it's just something. Or maybe we like, just maybe we just need to lubricate the the thread. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> no, let's just. Completely redesigned. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, um, We're getting a new oven anyway. Yeah, I think that's the next machine we're getting. Yeah. Eight zone. Yeah, getting an eight yeah. zone oven. So our four, four zone. I can't wait. Um, let's see. Space Echo. Uh, the parts were supposed to be here this week. They're not. They're somewhere. Well, they were scheduled to arrive at the earliest today or uh, yesterday. So have you checked the tracking? Or are they still somewhere halfway over the Atlantic? Well, okay, so it was shipped from Australia, and Australia Post has weird tracking numbers, which I can't find. So I'm not sure where it is at the moment. Oh, so it would be over the Pacific somewhere. Or in California. Uh, the way that shipping goes, it could be anywhere on Earth right now. <laughs> Actually, uh, speaking of shipping, um, you know those, uh, what is it, the chip? That was like the nine dollar, oh yeah, micro, the nine dollar uh, computer that you can buy, yeah, from Kickstarter. Mine got shipped. Mine got shipped from China to New York. Yeah, I don't know why it went through New York. Maybe New York is an international hub. For how did it even get there? 
This has to like go all the way around Africa to get to. Well, <laughs> it, probably flew, yeah. it probably flew. It probably flew. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Dustin, uh, you know we fly now. Oh, man, that's cool. I didn't even know that. <laughs> it flew over the Arctic. <laughs> no, it was like dog sleds. They had, like boxes of these chips. And they're... Parker needs his computer. <laughs> yeah. It's only $9. <laughs> Mush. <laughs> it's like the Iditarod race. The what? Iditarod. What is that? That's, that's the big dog sled race. Oh. Yeah, up in Alaska. Yeah. I, I live in Houston, Texas. I don't even know what snow is. <laughs> I, just, I just like dogs. <laughs> That's how I know. Um, SSPS front panel. Uh, I did not get to finish coding it this week. I was coding something else. Um, I was coding a, a uh, little i square c display today instead of actually working on the SSPS. Oh, um, how'd that go? It, oh, it went pretty well. The only problem I had is uh, I... Mismarked the uh, the data and clock lines for the I square C on one of my boards. S D A S D O. Yeah, I, I had them reversed. <laughs> oh, um, and so I was just getting a bunch of of, of knacks back. I oh. actually used our, uh, our our DLA, our Saley DLA. Yeah, and I hooked it all up, and it just goes knack 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 knack. So <laughs> something's wrong. Yeah, I was like, uh, okay. And I actually tried, you know, different things, and I was getting you know the clocks out and reading your thing in. I also had it backwards in the Saley because Saley was decoding it correctly, but it wasn't getting the acknowledge back hmm. because the screen's lines were backwards. Two, two levels of flipping? Yeah, two levels of flipping there. Uh, so I was able just to easily, I just flipped the jumper wires and it worked. So your clock was going crazy and, the, and then the output was just like one, zero, one, zero. Yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really work too well, but uh, it works now. Um, yeah, because you were actually uh, refreshing the screen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was earlier. refreshing the screen, writing data to it. Um, now i got to write the entire library to support it Ugh. and spin. So that you also all you have to do is like LCD dot, you know, decimal number this, and they'll actually write it out. I'm going to make it like a character display. Oh, okay. I, yeah, because I was about to say, wouldn't you have to have the location of where you want it Yeah, also? so it, you, you can, you'll be able to move the location around. Yeah. So it's going to have a virtual... Because the, the the screen doesn't have a counter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You tell it what address you are going to write to. Oh, so it handles all the yeah. moving it. So the library yeah. is going to handle have a virtual pointer or virtual counter that that will automatically move everything around. Gotcha. Yeah. Soft cursor. Yeah, soft cursors. Um, let's see anything else? I think that's it for me. That done this week. Well, um, I w- I got on the. Uh, SSPS analog board, uh, got that up and uh, ordered last week. So uh, we've we've been talking about the SSPS for a good long while now, and it's uh, it's taken me a bit of time to get the analog board up and running. But I finally hammered it all out. It took a lot of simulation just because I was kind of anal about making sure it was right. Just because my board is handling like close to four hundred watts, I want to make sure it's absolutely right. But we have, um, on this board, we're doing a single channel, uh, and we're going to test and modify this board as much as necessary, and then just copy and paste effectively to make the two, the two channel. So, fingers crossed, this is the one that, that should do everything that it is needed. It has um, two 35-volt 10-amp regulators on it, um, all discrete. It has two OPA 541 uh, 
op amps in parallel as the outputs, and then a whole bunch of digital jazz for Parker to talk to and, and have fun with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, it's got like what, 0.08 farads capacitance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I like how you you told me the spec was in farads, not in like microfarads. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the reason why it did that is because when you buy these specific caps from Mauser, they are 0.01 farad. That's the way ah. they call them. So, uh, you so know. these are actually millifarads. This would be eight millifarads. Eight millifarads. Mm. That's right. We have four uh, 0.01 caps in parallel per 35 volt regulator. So a total of 0.08 farads. Yeah. And then the new tube microamp, right? Uh, macro amp. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The um, so earlier this week, I finally got around to uh, laying out the macro amp. It, it's been kind of fun. My customer requirements have dropped a little bit, so I snuck in two PC board uh, layouts, and I'm actually working on a third right now uh, while the customer stuff is down. But on the new tube amp, I finally got that all ironed out how I want to, uh, and got that on order earlier this week. So that's a two channel, ten watt tube amp using the Korg new tubes that we've been talking about for a while. Uh, and my goal was to put it on a small PCB, only two layers, and have everything, 100% of the entire amp on one board. And I got away with it. It's uh, also pretty much all the signals are on one side and then ground on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I've actually never done this before, and so I'm giving it a try. I did a solid ground plane as my ground. Typically in audio circuits, I run <laughs> every single ground by itself, but I wanted to try a full ground plane, and I had a whole bunch of extra area on the top layer, so I duplicated a ground plane, and I via-stitched the snot out of the board. Uh, I, <laughs> the, my EDA tool said that there was 820 holes oh, in God. the board, and this is a, a four and three-quarter by four and three-quarter board, so it's got holes everywhere. 565 of those vias... <laughs> don't have signals going through them. They're just via stitching. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it acts as a giant shield. That's well, It should. Well, and, and one of the reasons why I did it is because it's going in a wooden case. So the entire enclosure for this box is not shielded itself. So I want the PCB to be a, just a giant you know, ground sink, basically. And, and speaking of analog, I, just, I ran a uh, new version of the uh, Dirty P stomp box. Yep. Um, so hopefully we'll have that done in about two weeks, and uh, we'll have a. Uh, I'll probably have a uh, Stephen here play play it on on the podcast. Oh yeah, oh, that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, get, get, it, get nasty with yeah, it. Yeah, it's pretty grungy. Yeah, I, I got to play around with an early version. It was a pretty nice pedal. <laughs> like it, it's just the the nastiest fuzz. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all the the thing about it. It's all S and T. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is unheard of for stomp boxes, <laughs> but it runs uh. Uh, some solid state, basically two, uh, two N three nine zero fours, three of them in in series. Yeah, they're it's cascaded. Just, yeah, just gain, gain, gain. <laughs> yeah, again with with no attenuation, no, not really much control, just enough to make sure that it doesn't just like explode. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the thing about uh, it, it's based off the um, old schematic for a super fuzz. Yeah, Marshall super yeah. fuzz. Yeah, and. They used germanium cap uh, transistors, transistors, yeah, uh, which had a uh, their their bases were kind of leaky, yeah, compared to these new silicone ones. Yep, and so we actually had to bias the first um, 
uh, first transistor just to get the transistor to, transistor to turn on. Well, it, it, because the old way that transistors, uh, there was a, a form, and this is a handover from tube technology, uh, if you put a really large value resistor on the base, just the leakage current enough would raise the voltage on the base. To turn it on. To turn it on. Uh, but new transistors don't really, yeah. they're not leaky enough. Yeah. So I actually tried that because uh, I basically looked at the schematic and, and, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You know, it should work. Yep. And it didn't turn on at all. We actually debugged it with, uh, you know, an old 100 megahertz analog scope. Just poking on it and figuring out where the signal was stopping. Yeah. And it was the first transistor. And all we did was do like a 10K pull-up on it or something? Uh, I think it, well, we, we did a voltage divider just That's to right. make sure that we had somewhere in the center. Yeah. I think we basically we soldered a, uh, we uh, dead bugged a potentiometer on it and tweaked it so it sounded where we wanted it. Yeah. And then we just measured it and put two caps there, <laughs> or two resistors there. How many how many times have you have you done stuff like that in circuit? Because for me it's countless. Oh, oh dead yeah, bug, dude, stuff like that. D- yeah, dead, dead bug a pot, turn it till you like it, and measure the values, oh, plug yeah. those resistors in. Yeah. I've done you that almost, so many to. times. <laughs> well, stuff like that, where you, we couldn't really figure out where you, there was no math formula to figure that out for this transistor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just relied on it, and which which is a terrible way because you put in another transistor, it might work, uh, and as and if you have an old germanium transistor like that, as it grows older, it may get more leaky or less leaky and just not work. It's a terrible design <laughs> habit. Oh but it requires one less resistor, so it's cheaper. Yeah, so it's cheaper. <laughs> ah, speaking of cheaper, this goes into our RFO section. Uh-huh. The uh, FCC is to investigate why in America the RF noise floor has been going higher and higher. These past couple of years, mysteriously, mysteriously, ooh, um, it's probably because of cheap products from China coming over. Oh, this yeah. is my theory. Blame it on China. Well, have you ever taken apart a power supply and found like parts missing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, they they a lot of these devices they'll say like they're FCC CE stamped. They probably were in their original specification. Yeah, and then they don't manufacture to that. And then, all, and then they start removing parts until it stops working, and yeah. then put that part they took out that made it stop working back in. <laughs> right. And so, like, well, ESD TVS diodes, we don't need those to make this power supply work. Yeah. Bypass caps to make sure that things don't radiate, we don't need those. Yeah, we don't need those. Who cares? Our processor can handle a full volt worth of ripple. <laughs> <laughs> well, the USB spec is... Plus minus 0.5 volt with no ripple spec. That's a full yep. volt. Yeah, full volt ripple. Ugh. Dirty. Terrible. Um, I know for a fact my 3D printer that I bought from China, it's a maker bot ripoff, mm-hmm. is not FCC or CE compliant. How do you know that? Do you turn it on and the speakers go... You can hear the steppers over the speakers. They're like halfway across the room. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. It also makes my uh, Wi-Fi go crazy. You, like, lose internet or something? Yeah. Wow, you, it's dumping you, all over the band. Yeah, you can watch your, your um, Wi-Fi uh, bars drop by half. Because <laughs> how much noise it's pumping out. That's terrible. I bet yeah. you my CNC uh, dumps a ton of crap. Well, that big motor. Yeah. 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 But I guess that motor is probably designed to do that. It's probably a certain frequency band for it. Maybe. 
But yeah. Um, so so the noise floor, they've they've identified that it's it's creeping up. Yeah. So then yeah, in major city cities, it's starting to go up. Yeah. Which it shouldn't. If if all devices are com- FCC compliant, it should be they sh- there should be some nominal. Correct. Yeah. So do they have any kind of actions they're going to take? Um, the Hackaday article didn't really say what they're going to do yet. That's actually one of my questions is, is what are they going to be able to do about this? I guess they can start, like, how do you, it's, it's most likely cheap products that are not fully compliant. What if it was iPhones just dumping crap out everywhere? (laughs) (laughs) Recall all the iPhones. I think, I think Apple's stock would just immediately plummet. Oh yeah, they they would tank. Not like I would recommend actually no. They Apple they, they could anyway. they could probably just buy the FCC <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just raise the limit. I F I F F C or I F C C I F C C. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, but you know, it's another thing is um, you know, most makers don't even do FCC or CE testing either. Right. Um, um, probably a lot of them don't so even if, know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. No. I what don't. To do. <laughs> um. And so if the FCC starts cracking down on this stuff, is it really going to hurt like websites like Tindy and the Hackaday store and, you know, these guys that are selling their products that are not actually tested? Hmm. Or they will actually start cracking down on, you know, actually testing devices. Um, uh, basically like, you know, random sampling, testing, that kind of stuff. Seems like that'd be very difficult to do. There's a lot of electronic devices yeah. tests. It's like, and how do you even stop a product that's coming from overseas here? Does customs have to now power stuff up and test oh, if Lord. they're passing? Oh, because gosh. even if, because this goes back to, you know, even if it has an FCC or CE stamp on it, it might have been caught, quote, cost reduced <laughs> in China, and now it doesn't pass. So how I, does customs know? It, it seems point? almost impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's to, to really do. It's almost like maybe everyone needs their own like. Maybe if the FCC came out with like a little like radio tag they can carry with you, and it would ping if it goes over a certain amount, and then you can like, oh yeah, that device is bad, and then like mark it. Yeah, but I mean, most people it would ping, and they'd just be like, okay, well. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh, they don't, yeah. Yeah, it's not a big yeah, thing. That's me. true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this well, power supply is five dollars cheaper. I don't really care. But yeah. if it, but if it was like your problem where it cuts off their Wi-Fi signal, that that device would be in the trash really fast. Yeah, <laughs> real fast. Not just yeah. raising the noise floor slightly. Yeah, yeah. It almost seems like I wonder if they can have, build some kind of like car that they can drive around and and with an antenna and sense. Well, that's what they do for um, people broadcasting pirate radio. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, they triangulate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they already do that for... The, for that. And that's also um, how they get people who do ham with uh, high-powered radios and stuff that they shouldn't have. It's, that's how they catch them, too. Yeah. They basically just drive around and pick up the signal. <laughs> hmm. Remember back in the day when they when people used to do that with Wi-Fi, they would they would go around searching for Wi-Fi with their little devices. Oh, was it um, what was that called? Sorry, war driving? Oh yeah, some war or something. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. That used to be a thing. Like was when, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was called war driving. Yeah, yeah. Where you drive around <laughs> searching for open 
open Wi-Fi spots. That just made me think of did, that. Did you guys, uh, do you remember, gosh, I think it was like 2012 or something like that. That's uh, so long ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa, dude. He shows my memory. <laughs> uh, but uh, Austin City Limits, they, there was something about them giving Wi-Fi hotspots to homeless people. Uh, <laughs> so that they could cover the area with Wi-Fi hotspots. <laughs> Just like tag them with like a, like, with how like many, a gun. How many got pawned? <laughs> you know, and and I, the thing is, like, <laughs> I don't remember if that was like an Onion article or not. <laughs> it may have been, dude. I don't know. It, it, I don't very, know it very well could have been. But I thought about that. I was like, wow, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> Just driving around with a Trent gun that, that has those tags in them and yeah. shooting homeless people. Oh, gosh. That's terrible. Like, what was that? Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> okay, next topic. Yeah, next topic. <laughs> what is the next topic? <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, so earlier this week, uh, I was talking in IRC about... Well, someone asked, what's the difference between VSS, VDD, and VCC? The, the notation on schematics? Yeah, the notation on schematics. And uh, I, th- I thought it w- went back to... Uh, uh, basically just old connotation, and then just everything got kind of, you know, mi- like they tried to make a standard, and then it just got all blended together. Yeah. But Stephen actually went in his old um, Art of Electronics book. Art of Electronics. Oh, man. Second great, edition. Great book. Amazing book. I have it in my hands right now. Horowitz. Yeah, Horowitz so gonna, and Hill. This book, if you don't have it, by the way, it's always, well, I mean, you could probably get the second edition for maybe 30, so, 40 bucks now. Yeah, so please read Passage... From, uh, page, from page 76, I think it is. I believe it's not. I, uh, give me a second, guys. I'm flipping here. It is page 62, 62. which is in the transistors uh, uh, section of the book. Let me, let me read an excerpt here. Um, Voltage between two terminals is indicated by a double subscript. VBE is the base to emitter voltage drop. Uh, for that instance. So we've dealt with VBE a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But here's where it gets into the VCC stuff. It says, if the same letter is repeated, that means a power supply voltage. VCC is the positive power supply voltage associated with the collector. VEE is the negative uh, supply associated with the emitter. So VSS and VDD would be MOSFETs. Yeah. I also thought it might have been back from when... Uh, when Analog radios would have different voltage levels. Yep. This, uh, from batteries. Yes. And this was back when a D or C cell were not like the D and C cells that we have now. Right. They were completely different voltages. Yeah. Well, in in most tube stuff, you normally have four or five different voltage taps, and they're normally lettered, lettered A B C D. Uh, but when tubes are run on batteries, they were labeled by the battery name C or D or whatever that was. And in fact, they used to, even before that, they called everything HT, which stood for high tension, because the line was at tension instead of voltage. Uh, <laughs> terrible. So yeah, if you ever see a schematic with HT written on it, that's the power supply. Huh. Um, I came up with my own. Okay. Volt in hole, volt out a hole. So V-I-H and V-O-H, which will even further confuse people because on digital data sheets, that's voltage in high and voltage out high. Oh, yeah. Extra For, for digital levels. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Acronym overloading. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. What, what happens when you have different voltage levels? Like 3-3 three, three and 5 and 1-8 and 2-5? Uh, 
V I H three three. No, V I H H. V O H H. Just keep yeah. adding letters. No, to the end. You keep adding letters, <laughs> or you can say like the high, like if you have five volt and three volt. One is just uh, out voltage out. The other one's voltage higher out. <laughs> Gosh, I'm surrounded by digital guys. What do I do? <laughs> oh no no no! If you even want to go in more down like digital notation, yeah. One's a one. One's a super one. Oh, oh. Super one in one. Or you can just call it two. <laughs> <laughs> we should just get rid of uh, positive voltage and ground and just everything is ones and zeros. That makes sense to me. Or twos. Or, or, or twos. Okay, there we go. Gosh. What am I going to do? Or you can just call it um, multiples of what your normal rail is. So if five is not a multiple so of if, three, no, three. So if VCC is 3.3 volts. Uh-huh. 3.3 times your multiple is 5 volts. Oh, that's so, terrible. Yeah, so it would be VCC. So 5 volt would be labeled VCC times, what is it, 1.5, something like that? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> These are terrible ideas. Please, God, no. This, this reminds me of the difference between um, imperial and metric tire sizes. It's kind of random, but whereas, like, when you look at an imperial tire size, it's like 30... It's uh, 30, which is like the radius, or the diameter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, R for, um, I, I guess that's just the, the, like, goes right in the middle. But mm-hmm. I think it means rim size, 15. So you have a 30-inch tire on a 15, and then a dash, and then the width of the tire. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas, which has uh, um, metric sizes is like some number, it's like 200-something, and then it's that, and then a ratio number that you have to calculate. That's the difference between the diameter and the width oh. minus like the wheel size. Oh, God. oh gosh! Yeah, what, it's what's terrible. wrong with them? <laughs> I'm like, sure, cool. Metric is great when you have to like measure stuff, except tire sizes. That's interesting because they usually beat everyone else in, or not everyone else. They usually beat us in terms of simplicity. Yeah. Imperial sizes for tires are way easier to look at. Here's the thing that, uh, actually, I, I think when it comes to the imperial metric uh, conversation, imperial, you don't ever actually use the fractions. You just memorize them. Yep. Whereas with, uh, with metric, you actually, like, you know, five millimeter, the next one up is six millimeter, as opposed to five eighths, the next one is 11 sixteenths. Like, you just memorize that the next one is 11 sixteenths. Yep. You don't actually divide 11 16 no. in, your, in your mind. Yeah. So, like, for mechanics and things like that, it just it comes second nature because they just memorize the next one is yep. there. So I can just reach my hand in my tool bag yeah. and pull out a 9 sixteenths. <laughs> B.S. <laughs> We're getting a bag, and I'm going to fill it with a whole bunch of <laughs> tools. <laughs> tools. you got to pick out See, that one. You would just not even put a 9 sixteenths in the bag. <laughs> I'll be reaching that bag forever. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, actually... Forgot to mention on the FCC stuff. Yeah. Since we're having this increase in background radiation, we could harvest it probably easier too. I've seen that done. Yeah. Uh, and done har- well, actually. RF energy harvesting. Yeah. Uh, you have to have like a wicked broadband uh, antenna. Yeah. How much power can you get from that? Not a lot. Not a lot. But it's there. It's free energy. Ooh. You like turn on a light bulb or something? <laughs> No one had to turn on a light bulb. No, you could, I don't know. Maybe light a little tiny LED. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, maybe not a light bulb, but an LED, maybe. 
You, yeah. you harvest enough of it for a really long time, then you can turn on a light bulb. <laughs> yes. For like for like five seconds. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's actually more stuff I kind of want to try to do is do energy harvesting that way, where you store energy. It's been done a lot in, sol in solar, is store energy to. for a long time and then transmit for a short period of time and then go sleep again. Yeah. It's basically what the rovers on Mars do. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it's what satellites do, but it's not really a thing a lot of makers explore. Mm-hmm is basically power um, power management, low power management. And actually, Dustin did that for his... Uh, CubeSat. CubeSat. Hmm. What, power management? Yeah. Low, <laughs> what, low power stuff? management. He's like, I completely forgot about college. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. That was a while ago. That was like eight months I've ago. Been, I've been trying to forget about, about that. <laughs> no, that was like only six months ago. Yeah, it was about six months ago. <laughs> I, I actually played around with a, with a concept similar to that in a previous life. I was designing vibration sensors, and vibration itself is energy. And so I was designing a little circuit that it clipped onto the machine that it was monitoring. It would steal energy from the vibration. It would fire up a, an MCU. It would read the vibration and then Wi-Fi kick it out and then shut down and steal more energy from the device it was monitoring. And... You never had to run conduit and power to it. It just, bam. Did it work? It didn't get super far down the uh, uh, design line. The uh, managers didn't want to go that route, but I started napkin mathing it. And it, it would have worked. Uh, there's enough energy in the vibration to uh, steal it. Uh, there's, so there's some other companies who have done similar things. This reminds me of all the people that think putting like energy harvesting in roads. Yeah. You've seen that? Basically, like the floor, the 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 road well, flexes. We've a bit. talked about these kind of things a lot. Well, that's yeah. solar road base. but this is like, um, I think they want to put them in like parking lots and stuff. But it's like you're not you're, you you got to get the energy from somewhere, so you're stealing it from people's gas tanks. <laughs> well, yeah, these right. uh, flexible yeah. roads that like they're kinetic roadways. I think is what it's called, and basically you drive over them or walk on them. And they flex, and they push a little spring down, and it moves a little thing, and then you get energy. Again, similarly to the solar roadways, it sounds way too expensive to be even useful. Well, at and all. it's and it's a ridiculously inefficient way to get power from fossil fuels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the just, way, let's just use fossil fuels. All right? I think it's worth mentioning because we seem to be fairly cynical about renewable energies. We are absolutely not. We, no, we're not at all. Uh, I think we just want them to be done in a in a practical in a, manner. Practical, yeah. yeah, practical manner. Yeah, like. The whole idea that a Prius is super energy efficient, you're, you still have to charge it from something that burns fossil fuel. Like it, and you still have to build the batteries, which requires a lot of Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, the good thing about electric cars, though, is just because you have to power them from fossil fuels doesn't mean it's a bad way to go about that. Right. Because, a, a, let's say, an oil power plant or a coal power plant will get like 60% efficient mm -hmm. at extracting energy from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Whereas your car is only 30%. Right. Right. So you have, so first of all, your power is more efficient that your conversion. Yeah. And then your electricity to back to rotational energy is like 99% efficient. Maybe not that high, but it's, it's high. Yeah. Electric motors are very high. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's say 90%. Yeah. That's probably a fair estimate. And so yet, so instead of 30%, you got 60%, and then 90% of that you can recapture. It's better. Way better. It's, it's better. 
but it's not it's not a hundred percent renewable energy was no. the point I was making. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um yeah, kinetic roadway is also a stupid idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, a whole bunch of plungers with solenoids and, ma- and magnets in it. Yeah, terrible idea. <laughs> Can you imagine the maintenance on that? I, I would bet it would be pretty similar only to the maintenance, maintenance on, on a solar a, roadway. The only, yeah, the only maintenance <laughs> on a solar roadway, besides fixing the glass when it breaks, yep. is you have to clean it. Yep. Keep it clean. Oh, so your uh, solar panels... And, and when melt, you're... Melt when the you're ice. When your power electronics go out and and when things break, like the actual copper connections and things like that, along with I'm talking about just like general, like not failure maintenance. What if someone gets in a wreck and just destroys an entire section of it? (laughs) Drive shaft drops. Yeah, Um, (laughs) takes out a mile of the stuff. Uh, No, no, just the whole. Um. The the just the like. Because the there's, the there's, no there's still no moving parts in a solar roadway, though. Correct. A kinetic roadway that's got a lot of little things that move. I can't imagine. Like, think about just like sand. Just gets in all that stuff. I'm thinking about sand. I hate sand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, it just... It's an idea. And hey, thumbs up to somebody who's coming up with ideas, but it just doesn't seem... Very practical. Man, honestly, driving around in Houston, like, how bad our roads are, and then trying to complicate that even further just, just puts a sour feeling in my gut. <laughs> you know? If, hey, if we put... <laughs> wait, if we put these, these like, little plunger things that generate energy in all the potholes in Houston, <laughs> Houston would generate so much energy. <laughs> You're like a million of these things. Though. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, on Tuesday, I saw this really cool crowd supply called the aeroscope um it at first glance it looks like one of those like cheapy little like oscilloscopes that you like usb oscilloscopes that are completely worthless (laughs) this thing is so this thing's a wireless version of that oh um but what's cool is it has bluetooth and so you can connect to your tablet okay and so when this thing's about the size of a a large pen Okay. And then plus your phone, you have a scope. And it's got some decent specs, 100 megahertz uh, uh, bandwidth, mm-hmm. 500 million samples a second, okay. uh, plus or minus 40 volt, blah, 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 blah. Um, 10,000 samples, sampling depth, which is not that great, mm. but it probably has, it has to store it all locally and then push it up over the Bluetooth. How long does the battery last on this thing? It must just chew through batteries. I don't know. Uh, it's 10 meg impedance, blah, blah, blah. But the cool thing, this would be useful for, like, trying to fix a uh, a deer feeder out in the middle of, like, west, you know, west uh, Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or working on, on, like, an oil rig where you can't bring your fancy HP scope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or your car broke down and there's something you need to look at in there. If your car broke down in the middle of nowhere, you're probably not going to get it working with this oscilloscope. <laughs> <laughs> if it's you're in the bad. middle of the nowhere and you want to figure out how your car works. Yeah, how your car <laughs> then, works. Then you can do it. Because um, the only thing I can think you can use your scope for when your car, car is broken would be for retiming. Unless it's like CAN bus, but then you know, that, you're not going to fix that. No, you're not going to fix without, it with that thing. Yeah, no. without replacing parts. <laughs> um. 
is to figure out timing, and yeah. then it'd be cheaper and easier just to have a timing light. Well, and then in modern cars, you're in the middle of nowhere, anymore. and you want to see how much noise is on your your line. You can your power you line. Can, you can do that. I think this would be good for uh, like ham radio, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah I guess. The I, I think also it's it kind of limits itself with only a hundred megahertz bandwidth. Because you got things oh, a lot. Do, these, you can do a lot with a hundred. You can megahertz. do a lot, but. If you if it could do like let's say five gigahertz, which yeah. is that's all that's pretty high, um, but then you can do telecommunication. Well, you know what? I bet you they have their own custom made. They they do. Yeah. They have these like handheld like ginormous ones, like mm-hmm. like fluke made, yeah, huge yeah. ones that cost an enormous amount. No, I guarantee you they have those. Yeah, but that, that was just an example. Is, yeah, that's what I thought of. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. I think it's super cool. And uh, do you know? Uh, in general, what the price point of one of these would be? I completely forgot. We might have to look that up uh, yeah. because if this was, if this I think was it's like two hundred fifty like, bucks. Yeah, I was about to say if it was around two hundred bucks, that's totally worth it. No. Um, and especially like if you're on your desk and you don't feel like busting out your scope and getting probes and doing all that jazz, and you just had this sitting right there, that's kind of convenient. I actually felt the same way. When I had to bust up the Salie DLA today, yeah, I'm like, oh man, I have to go over to the bench and pull that up and set it up on my bench, and then I put it all together. I'm like, okay, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those like, yeah, just like I don't like spaghetti wire, yeah, all over my my desk. So, yeah. the, the, there's been multiple times when I'm re- repairing customer gear where. I keep thinking in the back of my head, I was like, man, I need to throw this on my scope because I, I know I'm going to find something with the scope. And I'll just be like, no, no, I'm just going to keep going and try soldering things and try. And, and I'll get like an hour down the road and I'll be like, ah, I got to get the scope out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> eventually it's just like you have to break down and actually do it. My favorite is because you're in between me and our electronics bench, Stephen. You're right. <laughs> um, and I'll like if I need to use like. The, the big power supply on the bench. Yeah. I'll like daisy chain stuff over so I can actually have it on my desk. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and a lot of times I'll just be staring at my computer screen and there's a cable that starts draping over my lap. <laughs> it's like, I got to, I got to access stuff. I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> I'm hoping at the new shop, I want to set up a bench computer that we can, uh, that you can remote into your desktop computer. Mm-hmm. And so you can have all your programs there ready to go. Ooh. And that way you don't have to do, uh, um, you don't have to copy stuff over. Yeah. That's also, that's the biggest pain of having a bench computer is having to making sure that your environment's the same for compiling, making yep. sure all your code's over there correctly, making sure it's, the that code's up to date. So right. it's not like an old version. Yeah. That's a pain in the butt. No, we'll just push our, our screens over. Yeah. Push the screen over. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. You have anything, Dustin? Uh, nope. I think is it. All right, you want to sign us out? Sure. Or, uh, uh, Steven, do you have anything? Yeah, you did. You, come on, oh, man. You didn't uh, even sorry, Steven. <laughs> no, I don't got anything. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. I'm your guest, Dustin Holiday. You, what? what did that was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. Oh, okay. I, did I do that last time? Yes, you did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. I'm your, I'm your guest, Dustin Holiday. And we were your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Dolman. <laughs> Take it easy, guys.